All right, imagine this. You're driving around downtown Denver and you come to a stoplight and you're waiting and then someone uh, with a cardboard sign and a long scraggly beard starts walking past the cars towards your car. You've got about three seconds to decide. Am I gonna roll the window down and engage? Am I going to give something, say something, or just keep my eyes locked on the brake lights in front of me and sooner or later the light will turn green and it'll all be over? Right? This is like the classic Christian conundrum right, of ethics. What do you do with a homeless person that's asking you for money? Or perhaps isn't even asking, but maybe the sign is just implying that they would like you to give money. You know, it's, we're called to be generous. You know, our money's not our own. We're supposed to give. So yeah, yeah absolutely, you got to give. Yeah, but I don't know how they're going to use it. And probably the money that I give them won't actually help them, right? And so there's this big debate, right? What do we do about homelessness or about the needy uh, in, our, in our town? Uh, I don't know if you've seen these signs uh, up around town, but there was a campaign that was started, I think, October of last year. Um, and at some of the parks, there's this sign, handouts don't help. Have you guys seen this? Okay, it's very interesting, right? And it's... Um, kind of controversial because on the one hand, it's essentially saying, look, if you just give money to panhandlers, um, that will kind of keep them in poverty, right? And they'll just be able to support themselves in their current lifestyle. We want to create a system that can help support them so that they can get on their own feet or provide better assistance, you know, real change, not just pocket change, you know, it's kind of what you say. Uh, but the flip side is uh, this sign kind of says like, get out of here. Like, we don't want to see you, right? It, it gives us a real easy out. Like, cool, I don't have to, I don't have to give to panhandlers because, look, I mean, the sign says handoffs don't help, so I'm sorry. You know, and like, and you just want to kind of push it away. You know, and so it's kind of like, I don't know, is this the right thing, the wrong thing? The question wrapped up in these examples is what do you do about the people that need assistance to live, right? I mean, they're, they're going to be dependent on someone else. What do you do as a society to help these people or to care for them or to ignore those people? Uh, what does it look like? Uh, we're reading through the book of Deuteronomy, which is going through all of the laws to set up for God's people, chosen people, the Israelites, before they go into the promised land, this is what your society will look like. Um, and far from treating uh, those people that are relying on others for their life, uh, from treating them as outsiders, outcasts, or something to be ignored, uh, they play a front and center role. Um, it's almost surprising we haven't mentioned it directly as we've gone through so many weeks. You know, just in looking at the laws, we've seen God's justice, God's love, God's life, and last week, God's holiness. Each one of those, you could have made a point that the vulnerable are right there um, involved in each of these laws. Uh, God cares about the vulnerable. And so we're going to read through uh, one passage or a couple passages to try to understand how does God view the vulnerable? How does he expect his people to view the vulnerable? And therefore, what do we do about the vulnerable that we come in contact around us? Uh, let's pray this morning before we open up our Bible uh, and listen uh, to what God has to say. So bow your heads and your hearts with me. Lord, uh, we, we come before you knowing that uh, there are vulnerable people, there are poor people, there are homeless people, there are people that are uh, depressed or that need something, Lord, uh, in order to live. Um, and we also admit that we don't always know what that is. I pray that you would speak to us this morning, uh, allow uh, your spirit to, to talk through your living words so that we might be able to know more about you and that we might be instructed how to go forward in your will. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. All right, excellent. Uh, we're going to start 
right with the main point. Um, I mean, the main point is God cares for the vulnerable, right? So there's, there's no surprises there, uh, but I do just want to prove it. On, in one of the passages that we had read, uh, this is maybe two or three weeks, four weeks ago now, uh, the verse right before the one that we talked about, this was about loving your neighbor and how you treat slaves, you know, and how you aren't supposed to hold them for life, but rather free them and give them gifts. Uh, there's this passage, we didn't, we didn't touch on it, but it says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And this is a great summary verse. All throughout Deuteronomy, you see that, that we're meant to be generous and care for the poor, almost as if they have a stake in the land, just the same equal as everyone else, right? Just because they're poor, destitute, for whatever reason, their fault or someone else's fault, uh, they still get to have part of the blessings that God is giving in the promised land. Uh, and then there's another spot too I want to highlight as a great summary. Uh, it's in chapter 10. We didn't cover chapter 10. Uh, it's great, great stuff. Uh, but this is kind of like a, a pump up speech that, that Moses is like, all right, guys, let's get out there and follow the law on three. One, you know? uh, but, he, but he talks about what is God's character. Here, here's, here's what he says. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no brides. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. I love this. So here's Moses, like, all right, we're doing this because of who our God is, Lord of lords, God of gods. He's the one defending the fatherless, the widow, and loves the foreign. You know, it's like that's where he goes, right? He goes to his justice, and then he says this, this love and this care for the vulnerable, right? And th those three, those three the, the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner are used a lot as, as a triad in Deuteronomy to, to mean anyone who's vulnerable, right? Like those people that are dependent on others for their livelihood, he uses those three as the examples. And we see that that's the characteristic that Moses highlights. I mean, he could have gone anywhere, right? Sovereignty, could have gone with his great power, um, could have gone with his love. He did, but he said love for the foreigner, right? And here's, here's the point that you see all throughout Deuteronomy, where God definitely wants everyone to be blessed, and he's got special care, special consideration for the vulnerable. The vulnerable are extra valuable to God. That's, that's the characteristic that we see in Deuteronomy. God loves everyone, absolutely everyone, and yet there are very specific things in Deuteronomy where he sees specifically those who are suffering. He specifically sees those who are crying out to him, those who are on the other end of injustice. And it's not just the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. Uh, there's all sorts of vulnerable populations that you see are cared for within the law. You know, there's uh, one example that I thought about reading today about uh, the sons of the wife that is less loved than the other wife. You know, you've got, you can't mistreat them right? Like there, there needs to be justice. Or women that are captured in battle, uh, they don't just get to become your property. You need to treat them as if they're humans. You know, the Levites, they didn't have any sort of stake uh, in, in the land or any sort of income, and yet you've got to take care of them over and over. The people who are relying on others for grace and for life, they get special treatment. God, God sees them not just as everyone else, but rather we need to specially consider them. They're, they're extra valuable before God. And so we're, we're going to, th this all tells us that we should be caring about the vulnerable around us. 
Uh, but the passage that I want to read is going to bring up uh, perhaps a different angle of how we're supposed to care about the vulnerable um, and then hopefully challenge us uh, for maybe even how we're thinking about uh, our role within the world. Uh, so I'm going to read Deuteronomy 24. It's a series of laws. Uh, there's five different examples, maybe six, depending on how you count. We're going to read all of them, and we're going to see, well, what is this trying to say? That the whole thrust of this passage is about the vulnerable. How do we protect them? How do we care for them? How do we demonstrate God's character of valuing them extra special? So this is Deuteronomy 24. We're just going to read 10 through 22 this morning. Um, listen to these examples and think through what God might be uh, sharing with you. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbor to whom you're making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest your grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Okay, so there you have it. It's five separate examples. You know, the first one is uh, you've lent someone money and you want collateral in return, knowing that they will pay you back. Uh, when you're asking for that collateral, don't go into their house. Respect them, respect their property. Let them bring it out to you. Uh, if it's a poor person and they're giving you their cloak that they sleep in, uh, you can't keep that overnight. You've got you to bring it back to them so that they can use it for their livelihood, right? Like, they're, like you can't take something from them that they're going to need to survive. That, that makes sense. Uh, the, the next example is pay, pay wages on time, right? If, you, if you've made a contract, someone's offered you a service, pay them. You know, you're, you're in a position of power, right, where you can withhold payment and say, oh, well, it's not done well enough, right? Or, oh, well, actually, I needed this done too. No, no, no. Pay your wages because their livelihood is reliant on your integrity, you know? And so you, before God, need to make sure you pay these wages, right? Don't take advantage of them. Uh, the, the children, you know, if, if, if your parent was convicted of a capital crime, they're going to be punished. You don't get punished. You have an opportunity to live life. You know, you aren't going to get tied up with them. Uh, the fourth example or fourth paragraph in my Bible is similar to the first one. You know, or give, give justice to the foreigner. But uh, in, the, in that scenario where you're lending money and you're getting collateral in return, uh, if it's a widow, don't, don't take the cloak at all right? You're going to let, let her off. I don't, it doesn't, doesn't mention why, but there's extra special protection for the widow rather than the poor in the first example. And then the last example is with your crops. You know, just don't, don't go all out, you know, and take every single crop, leave some behind so that the poor can follow and can at least harvest a little bit of the blessing of the land that God has for them. 
that's what we see. We see in each of these laws, there's this sense of how can we restrict ourselves so that we don't forget about or push out or in our pursuit of, you know, money or justice or whatever it is uh, that, that we kind of squish, you know, or, or squeeze out those people that are, that are most vulnerable. Um, that's what these passages are saying. Uh, I want to draw your attention to the motivation and see how God sees these people as extra valuable. So we have at the end, you know, remember you were slaves in Egypt. We've seen that before as motivation for the entire law, right? So there's this understanding. You yourselves were once vulnerable, right? In Egypt, you know what it means to be reliant on someone else and also to be oppressed by society. And so you, you, you get it, but also you know what it means to have transformative grace, right? Where God redeemed them out of slavery and now is going to bless them. So you've been on both ends and you know that, that, that this blessing of grace and goodness does lead to life. Therefore, in your daily interactions, represent that. You know, give life, give generously. Make sure that you're not keeping them where they are, but rather lifting them up because you yourselves were lifted up. Uh, that's absolutely there. Uh, there's another element in verse 13 and 15 uh, that talks about this, uh, whether you're going to be uh, deemed a righteous act before God or whether you're going to be guilty of sin before God. And, and I want to read that because I think it's fascinating um, how Moses states this, right? How the law is written for the vulnerable. So this is verse 13. Uh, Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. All right, so I highlighted thank there because that's... Uh, Another one of those translation decisions that the NIV has made in order to make it sound more uh, readable because uh, the word itself is bless. I, I, I couldn't find another translation that translates it as thank. Every other translation translates it as bless. Uh, that's the word. It just, the NIV says you, you don't really bless you. You thank, thank someone. Um, so that's, that's a fun little tidbit. I like the translation of bless though here because it, it ties in with verse 15 where uh, you have this relationship of the vulnerable and God and your moral standing before him. Here, let me, read, let me read verse 15. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. So you have on the one hand that they bless you and God counts your act as a righteous act. On the other hand, you have them crying out to the Lord against you and God counts you guilty of sin. It's very, this is very interesting because it doesn't, it, Moses isn't just saying, look, if you do this, it's a righteous act. If you do this, you're guilty of sin. He ties in the vulnerable's relationship to God with it, right? So, so it's almost like the vulnerable are in a position where they can tell God whether or not to bless you or curse you, right? Because to stand before God guilty of sin is, is being cursed, right? And so it's the vulnerable themselves that was, so it doesn't say, does God know what, that you've done this, right? It says others, they'll cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Well, why, does it ha why, did, why do they have to cry out first? You see, you see what I mean? Like God is inviting the vulnerable into the process of saying whether or not someone is blessed or cursed before God, right? Like the, the, the vulnerable, the, the, the poor, those, those that aren't offering anything to society are playing this role of like a moral compass and a moral accountability crew, you know, the compliance officer, you know? Like they have a special relationship with God where they can say, God, look. And God says, ah, yes, wrong or right, you know, whatever it is. 
there's, there's extra special value that God places on the vulnerable in society. They're not forgotten. In fact, God is close with them and he's listening to them. And in fact, your moral standing before God is based on your interactions with them. Now, we can, we can debate whether or not they, they continue to have that special role with God in our society, but he, here's what I know for sure. How you interact, how you treat those people that offer no benefit to you is going to tell you whether or not you're living for yourself. See what I mean? Let me say it again, right? How you treat people that offer no benefit to you will let you know whether you're living for yourself or not. Because if you're living for yourself, you have no time for someone who won't benefit you, right? And so you ignore them. You don't do anything about it, which, you know, you just take whatever pledges, you know, and yeah, it's it's normal. It's justice, regular life. If you're living for yourself, you completely disregard, doesn't matter, forget, ignore the vulnerable. If, you're, if, if you pay attention to the vulnerable, you give time to them, you give money to them, you help lift them up, well, clearly you're not living for yourself because that gives you no benefit, right? You're living for something else. We are called not to live for ourselves, right? The way that we treat the vulnerable is a great indicator in your own life. You can do it just a little check. How, how have I treated the vulnerable? If you're treating them well, yep, you're probably not living for yourself. If you aren't treating them well or you don't really know about it, you're probably living more for yourself. And that, that, that's just the indicator that it has. And I want to point out the type of rules. So I, I, the verses I used before, right? You should, we should be open-handed and generous to the poor and needy among you. That's, a, that's an active um, or proactive stance, right? That you, you should give money. These are all uh, more passive or it's a, it's a negative command. Don't do this. Don't do that. Um, where it's the goal here is not caring for the vulnerable. The goal for these laws is preventing the Israelites from forgetting about the vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Like, like oh yeah, remember, when you're lending money and you're, you're taking your, your collateral in return, the pledge in return, just remember, if, are they poor? Are they needy? Because there's some special things you gotta do if they are. Is it a widow? Okay, right, then you're not gonna be able to do that. Right, these laws are assuming that the Israelites would be tempted to not do them right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have to say it, right? Like, they'd be tempted not to pay someone their, their fair wages. I don't know if it's, oh yeah, you know, like, maybe like what we do, right? You have someone come over and fix a leak in your roof, and then you're like, oh, it wasn't very good, so I won't pay them until they come back and, like, refix it, you know? And because you have power, you know? I, I don't know if, if that's the scenario, but for whatever reason, there's temptation to take advantage of or to forget or to just treat them like they're everyone else and not give them the special attention. And so I think what these laws are saying is not so much you need to make sure you're doing something for them, it's you need to make sure you're paying attention to them because you're just gonna get going in your own life doing your own thing and you're not even gonna care. Here's what what I think it's like. Uh, This summer, we were cutting up fruit for a snack one time for all of our kids and we found in our fruit drawer limes um, we bought them for a recipe, but we had used all the limes we needed, and there was like two, two and a half limes still remaining. Uh, and one of, one of our boys said, well, let's, let's make limeade. You know, great, wonderful, I'll let you make it. You know, and so I, I told him like, oh, we have the juicer, you know, like the little cone thing with like the sharp points, so you can like twist on a lime. We got a big pitcher out, we got sugar out, which is definitely necessary, um, a big stirring spoon. And I said, all right, have at it. Well, how do I make it? You know, we're just going to get juice out of the lime and then just mix it with water and sugar and ice. You know, it's like, like, then you're good, you know, refreshing. 
And so uh, I go do something else, and, and my boys are working uh, on these limes. And then I hear, hey, Dad, do we have enough lime juice? I come back, and I look, and I'm like, ah, I had two options, right? They, they had gotten maybe about a third of the juice that was in the limes, right? I mean, it was like, there was, there was lime juice. There, there was an amount, but like, the, I mean, you could eat the lime still, you know? I mean, there was, there was a lot left. And, and so it's like, okay, I could either say, yep, go for it, make your limeade, or I could say, here, let me help you out, right? So in this scenario, uh, here, let me help you out, one. Uh, I don't know what was the right one, but guess what? We, we made a better limeade, right? So I, I, I'm like really working out. I mean, boys are like, whoa, I didn't know there's that much juice in there. You know, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like squeeze, squeezing them when they're done, just getting the most limeade. And I tell them, you know, like it would have worked the way that you were doing it, but this gives you more of that lime flavor, you know, more of that sweet, sour. It'll be more refreshing. It'll be better right? We mix it up uh, with the sugar. It's delicious. So they they share it with all their friends and they're like, maybe we could do this every day and and we could sell it. How much are limes, dad? You know, and and so it's a great, great experience, right? And and, and I was kind of proud of myself, get to show them, you know, like, hey, we can do it. And then we were able to make real good limeade. Here's the point. I think I treat my life like I treat that limeade. Right? When life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, right? When it gives you limes, you make limeade, right? And, and I feel like part of me says everything that God has given me, my skills, my talent, my time, uh, potential, whatever is family, like let's make the most out of it, right? Like let's squeeze it out, right? No, no lime juice left in that lime. We're going to make the very best limeade, the most limeade that we can possibly have. I feel like that's uh, what our culture values, right? That, that we say, be productive, you know, like, like generate things. We have TED Talks, we have books about how to self-improve and how do you take what little you have and turn it into something that's valuable, right? And that, that, that you can sell or give to the world. And I think God values that. But I think God values the vulnerable more because here in this passage are laws that are preventing the Israelites from squeezing every last bit of juice out of their limes, and saying, leave some for the vulnerable. Your life isn't meant for you to just maximize everything you have. Your life is meant to participate in a community that cares for the vulnerable as much as God does. And so for us, what does this mean, right? I think it means uh, leave a little juice in the limes, right? In whatever aspect of your life, have margin, enough margin to allow for vulnerable to come into your life. This is the the specific that I have for us. Make room in your life for the vulnerable. I don't know how much, I don't know how little, but if we're going so far down on our own thing, there's just no room left. Like even just take this last example, right? About harvesting your field or your, your olive trees or your vineyard and you leave something there. Can you imagine an American company doing that? Right, like you're a farmer in Florida, you sell your oranges to Tropicana to make orange juice, you know, your workers are out in the field and they grab what they can. They're like, all right, cool. Here's our first batch. We got to go back and get those ones that are really far in the middle, you know, and in the, in the farm, you know, don't worry about it. What do you mean? Don't, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're right. Like, are you going to get them? Or they're, no, we're just going to leave them. Like, well, for who? It's like, whoever wants them. It's like, well, no one knows it. They're going to rot. You know, it's like you're leaving profit out there. You're leaving fruit out there, right? And that, that's what God's saying. Just leave them there. I don't know who's going to grab them. Well, what if no one grabs them, God? Okay, then I guess no one grabs them. You know, it's like the point, 
See, here's, what, here's the American way of doing it, right? We would just say, well, harvest everything and just give a portion of that to the poor. Easy, right? We say maximize everything that you have, squeeze out all the lime juice, and then from what you have, give that to the poor. But this is presenting a different way that says, just don't squeeze everything out. Have margin. Uh, kind of take the control out of yourself. <laughs> You're not the one in charge. God is the one in charge of distributing everything. You just need to make sure that you're not going to be so recklessly pursuing your own success, your own reputation, your own goals, whatever it is in life, that you forget. This is one way that you remember, where it's a sacrifice that says, I could make more, I could squeeze more, but I won't. Why? Because God will use this somehow to take care of the people that he cares about. They don't even know. Like in that last example, I mean, I love this last example. You don't even see the vulnerable. You don't even know if they're there. And yet the rule is, just in case you leave a little margin, right? Leave a little lime, a little juice in your lime. Uh, what does this look like uh, for us? I think, well, I, I don't know, but I think most of us aren't agriculture. Right? Like we, we don't grow food, right? Like if, like if we're salaried, right? Or if we go to a job or even hourly, like how do you like not harvest the edges of your field, right? Or, you know, not go back through a second time, you know, like, Boss, I think my, my pastor said I can't work on the weekends now. It's, it's something to do with God liking the vulnerable or something? No, I don't know. But what does that mean? What does that mean? I think it means make room for the vulnerable in your life. Now, we have to care for the vulnerable. God specially cares for them. Uh, these are more passive uh, in, in what are we doing that allow the vulnerable to take the steps themselves, right? They'd have to go into the fields and harvest themselves, um, so maybe not a handout, but how can we let them access what we have? Um, I don't have great ideas, but it's, it's classic ones like food banks, right? Just donate to a food bank. What if you said every time you go to the grocery store, you'll buy a bag of groceries and a part of your weekly habit will be dropping them off at a food bank, someone else that someone can go get to, you know, or, you know, the, the Douglas County Cares, that's the, the group that made that sign at the beginning. There's I think four or five organizations that our county is partnering with in order to provide those resources. Depending on how you feel, how efficient the government is, go give to an organization, right, that's going to help. The Help and Hope Center, that's one of the organizations uh, that we give from the gifts that we receive. We tithe on your tithe, uh, but that's one of the organizations that receives uh, financial benefit from us, from Beyond Church. Give to an organization. Therefore, you don't have to be the one in control, the one in charge, and you have more of a posture of what, what's going for here at the Israelites. Within your everyday activities, you're allowing for the vulnerable to be cared for. But I also want to present another, uh, another example to you as well. Uh, the place where I see us squeezing the most we can out of our limes is our time, <laughs> where we are busy people. You know, like, like we pack everything. Um, our jobs are demanding, you know, where, where it's very difficult to get off. Um, we travel a ton, you know, and, and so the time that maybe we don't have scheduled, well, that's either me time or that's family time or that's vacation time. Uh, we fill our lives full with what we have in mind. And what that means is that we have no room for anyone else, not just the vulnerable. But I mean, if someone needs us, like, oh, man, four weeks out, you know, maybe we can get together. I think the kind of life that we see here listed is a life that says, well, let me not get everything I can out of my life. Let me just leave a little bit of room, right? Like, like I don't know about this, uh, you know, getting the, the cloak offered 
as a pledge, you know, maybe it's more dangerous that they won't pay back your loan, right? Because they don't have that skin in the game and they don't feel that need to, oh, I've really got to pay him back so I can get my cloak back, you know? But, but you're essentially saying, I'm going to forgo what's rightfully mine or what I could get, or even if I, if I lent to someone else in order that God might do something with the margin that I'm providing. So I challenge us with our time. Can we live a life that leaves a little bit of the juice left in the lime and ask God to fill it or to use it or to use what we're leaving in the fields to benefit someone? I think some of the vulnerable in our, uh, our community are people that are lonely, people that don't have a connection to community and, the, and their lives depend on it. You know, and if, if, if no one has openings to connect with them, uh, then they remain destitute or perhaps um, are, are crying out to God because they need that help. Someone to just be present with them. I think that's an area uh, that we could probably improve or apply this to in terms of our life. How are we given margin out of our time and our money? All right, let me end with uh, words of Jesus. Uh, he warned his disciples not to be so headlong in pursuit of themselves, their own goals, their own success, saying that, no, following me, my kingdom should be more important. This is uh, Matthew 16. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I want to zero in on that second question, which is probably less familiar to you. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul as if you could work hard enough, you could produce enough fantastic lime made with the limes God has given you in order to show him, look, my soul can have salvation. I've, I can redeem my soul. I've, I've made myself good enough with what, what you have given me. He's saying, no, 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 you can't. You're not even close, right? Like, like that's why I'm here for you. You can't build enough. You can't get enough out of life that I'm giving you. So he's saying, don't try. Instead, act in a way that demonstrates God's character. The very next verse shows that Jesus wants their behavior to change, what they do. It says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. It's not going to be according to the world's standards or for gaining the world or success, but rather what you've done in line with what God's heart is, what Jesus cares about. So as we go, uh, let's make room for the vulnerable in our life so that our actions, how we treat those that give us no benefit, can demonstrate we're not living for ourselves, but rather we're living for our God. Let's pray. Lord, help us hear your heart for the vulnerable. Uh, help us see the vulnerable around us. Uh, help us make margin for vulnerable people. Um, whether we realize it or not, we trust you, God, will bring us these opportunities, will use us in ways to help meet the needs of the people that are extra valuable to you. Uh, Lord, may we be aware of the vulnerable around us. May we not just ignore them. May we not just avoid them or uh, in our actions just kind of push them to the outside. Help us see them as you see them, as perhaps even having a special place in your heart. Uh, may we be convicted. Uh, may you guide us for what we are supposed to do um, when we're encountered uh, with various people. But Lord, I pray that we would do something, that we would demonstrate your grace in some way um, in order that the world might know we don't live for ourselves. We're living for something far greater, and that greater thing is providing good and life to everyone in the world. 
We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name.